Well, the big game was fun, huh? We had a couple uh, good moments during that game. We had a couple questionable moments. It was just, it was all around a good big game. And, you know, I think that's kind of maybe not all what we expected in terms of uh, how good it was going to be. But the two best teams in the NFL, I think all of us could say, I think nine times out of 10, those teams could play each other. And it feels like that's probably how it's going to end uh, nine times out of those 10 times that they played. I just, I mean, two best teams in the league, it's going to come down to super uh, minuscule small decisions that are going to change the entire outlook of the game. Uh, there are a couple uh, plays in general that completely swung uh, the the momentum of the game a couple times, and it was just it was a good game overall. I was happy uh, with a lot of the stuff. There was one particular thing uh, that happened before the game that really just really 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 they do they do it every year, and it really and, and on a and a more serious note, this isn't really that it's not really funny or anything. Uh, it, it's just on a more serious note, just that really grinds my gears. Something that the NFL does every single season. I'll get to that a little bit later because it is more of a serious topic. I want to get to the football first. Uh, so let's talk about the football. Um, the Eagles, and we'll talk about the halftime show as well with Rihanna. First of all, welcome to the Weekend Sports Rep Podcast. I, I always forget to kind of intro the show. Welcome to the Weekend Sports Rep Podcast. I'm your host, James Timberlake. Remember, please, uh, wherever you're listening to this, you can be listening to it uh, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. If you already are, I appreciate it very much. Please remember to leave a rating if you don't mind, five stars. Uh, if you're absolutely loving the show, uh, leave a five-star rating. Remember to follow the show as well on any of those podcast platforms. Uh, and if you're not listening there, you can be listening to it on Share. If you are listening to it there and you want to listen to it somewhere else, you can listen to it on sharetomedia.com, podcastwyoming.com. And, uh, you know, like I said, all those other podcasting platforms, you can listen to this episode and all the other episodes of this show uh, on all those platforms. I'm trying to think of when the first show was that I did for this. I want to say it was in October of some kind. Was it has it really already been? I guess it's been probably two years now, approaching two years or something like that, which is crazy. Uh, But thank you very much for sticking along, tagging along with me uh, as we're we're rolling we're still rolling here uh we're gonna get into the game so let's let's talk about it um the eagles they played essentially a perfect first half of apart from one play uh, i think i mean it really was to be as cliche as as cliche as possible uh the eagles really did play essentially a uh it was a tale of two halves if you will that was the cliche i was looking for uh it was really a tale of two halves the eagles played fantastic in the first half and then the second half it kind of all fell apart for them uh, the, the offensive line was playing very well. They played well. I mean, the offensive line played well all game for the um, for the Eagles. And one part that didn't show up for the Eagles was their pass rush. Their pass rush was one of the most dominant pass rushes of all time. I mean, statistically of all time in terms of the amount of sacks that they produced uh, throughout the season, it was one of the most dominant pass rushes of all time. Like they had 77 sacks through the regular season, which was uh, total third all time in the history of the NFL. Uh, in terms of regular season sacks. So one of the most dominant pass rushes of all time, but they just did not show up. There are a couple of reasons for that. And the Chiefs were very good against the pass all season long, and they showed it again. If there's one thing the Chiefs I can really give a tip of the cap to is uh, back in 2020, the 2021 Super Bowl, but I guess it was the 2020 season. So the 2021, 2020 Super Bowl in the year 2021, if that makes sense. Um, 
when they played Tampa Bay, when they got throttled by Tampa Bay, the big thing that was really giving them issues in that game was Patrick Mahomes was having to run for his life that entire game. Uh, he was he was scrambling all game. He was getting rushed like crazy in that game by a very good defensive front that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had at the time had at the time. And uh, one thing I can I can tip my cap to is the fact that they really the Chiefs did not see that as a. Uh, you know, a one game, a miss, uh, you know, a disadvantage or anything like that. You know, something that maybe it was a one game disadvantage, a bad matchup for them. It was something they noticed. OK, this is a bad thing that we need to fix entirely. So they went in, paid money to get good offensive linemen. They went out and got Orlando Brown from the Ravens. They went out and got Joe Thune from uh, from the Patriots. They signed him in free agency. Then Creed Humphrey is really coming to his own, uh, coming to his own as a center for the for the uh, for the the Chiefs as well. So. The, the fact that they were able to really identify that issue and then I really just sort it out in a matter of a few seasons without having to worry about, uh, you know, trying to build up through the draft for the most part. They noticed that their window is, I mean, just in general, the window for something like that. It, it vastly it change, it can change on a dime. And the fact that they needed uh, they, they saw the issue that they had in front of them, which was the offensive line was a huge problem that the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers feasted on. Uh, against the Chiefs in that Super Bowl, and they were able to change that issue, go out and get good signings, and they really, I mean, they paid dividends in this game. Uh, they only, the offensive line for the Chiefs only gave up 10 pressures in this game, according to PFF, uh, nine hurries, and only hit the quarterback, uh, the Eagles only hit the quarterback one time. Uh, and partially, I mean, I, I want to give the credit to the pass blocking scheme, obviously, of the Chiefs, but another part of it that I don't think is really getting enough attention, to be honest with you, uh, and it should be, it was happening a lot during the game. It was getting a little bit more attention, but I think off the field, it should be getting a lot more attention. And after the game, that field was a disaster for the NFL. They came out with like a, 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 a media package, more or less that this grass that they had been growing uh, for this game had they'd spent like, what was it like two years growing the grass or something uh, in a, in a field essentially like 45 miles away from Phoenix. They had it shipped all the way to Phoenix uh, for the game itself. And they'd been rolling it out and watering it and stuff like that. So it was getting direct sunlight before the game. That was like a whole media thing that they had sent out that way, just to show that they were working on this new super scientific grass. And it completely backfired on them. There were guys after the game saying it was the worst field that they had ever played on. Like it was playing on a, uh, I think one of the players said it was like playing on inside of like a water park. Essentially they were slipping and sliding so much. And I think that partially had something to also do with uh, the the pass rush as well for both teams. I mean, it was kind of a, a difficulty for um, like those edge guys to get around a corner without having to slip, more or less. Both teams did not do a fantastic job of rushing the passer in general. The Kansas City pass rush only had 10 pressures in all game as well. They had two sacks, but only 10 pressures, two hits, two sacks as well. And then Philly, like I said, they had 12 pressures overall, uh, or excuse me, uh, 17 pressures overall and only 12, uh, 12 hurries and five hits on the quarterback uh, as a, as a whole. And that this is a, like I said, this is a pass rush that coming into the game is one of the greatest pass rushes that the, the game has ever seen from top to bottom, but neither like none, none of the guys, none of the, um, the outside linebackers or anything like that were able to get around the edge because of how bad they were slipping on that turf. And uh, it was a problem all night. It wasn't just the defensive linemen. Wide receivers were slipping. Cornerbacks were slipping. Uh, linebackers were slipping as well. It was just, uh, a disaster of a, a disaster of a scene for the NFL. I mean, we're talking about the biggest game. I, I mean, they, they grow this grass, they grew this grass or whatever for two years or whatever. Were they not testing it or something? Were they not have people like running out there? They didn't grow a patch of grass or whatever, like a 20 yard patch of grass and see if people could run around on it. Was that not a thing that they were doing? Like, I don't understand how after two years 
you grew the you grew this grass and then before that like it felt like during the big game they had forget they didn't they didn't test it at all they just threw it out there like all right let's see how it works and it was just such a in the in the biggest game of the year for sport for american sports uh bigger than anything that america puts together uh other than and maybe even in the world other than uh, a couple of soccer matches at the world cup final obviously probably the champions league final every year something like that uh the biggest game in american sports they come out and they give us a the, the NFL just fails miserably at one of the one of the things that they should be good at at this point. They've been playing on grass since the NFL was around, and for whatever reason, they created the most diabolical situation for players to be playing on. They were slipping everywhere. It's like imagine in the NBA if during the finals the NBA said, "Yeah, we put together a new court, uh, different types of wood for this court, and we're going to see how it works out." And during the game, LeBron James and Steph Curry, whoever whoever's in the finals or whatever, LeBron James, Steph Curry, they're slipping all over the court and they're not able to they're going up for a dunk or something and they slip and they do it multiple times during the game. Can you imagine how much of a disaster that would be for the NBA? The NFL should be they should be taking a lot of heat for this just because of how it's a little bit different for I guess the NFL because you know, do you have a spotlight on one or two guys or something like obvious? I mean, the quarterback position pretty much. But can you imagine how much worse this would have been if Patrick Mahomes, who did get hurt, uh, got hurt because he got hit. But imagine if he slipped or something and he aggravated that high ankle sprain just because he slipped or God forbid, you know, Jalen Hurts as well gets hurt after slipping on the on the grass as well. Can you imagine the absolute uh, media storm that would have come from that? Just a severe injury that happened on the field because of somebody slipping on the grass that they had been putting together for two years. The NFL, I mean, that's, it was such a joke. I, I for, as a, as a whole, I would say the NFL, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to end up being a success for them just in general, because it's the Super Bowl and everybody's watching it. They're going to, I think it, uh, their, the ratings numbers came out and it was the, the biggest Super Bowl of the last 10 years or something like that in terms of uh, how many people watched or 20, uh, something like that, five, 10 years. Uh, and it, it, so it's going to be a success for them. But I think, from a logistical standpoint, it was a complete, complete disaster. There were things at the beginning that I absolutely hated. Uh, there were the field was a complete mess. Literally, the only things that the NFL has to worry about in this situation, other than just letting the guys go out there and play, is the grass, the field, and the stuff that happens around the guys that are out on the field. That's the only thing they got to worry about. I maybe I'm downplaying it a little bit, but I mean, I, I mean, come on. I we're talking about the literal the, the playing field that these guys have to go on. The only thing you have to worry about is making that making it safe for those guys to go out and play on it. That's all you got to do. And they failed at that. They completely failed at that. I, I just it was so made me want to just uh, and you know what? They're going to win regardless. That's the problem because we all sat there and watched anyways. And we're all going to be back next year before the same exact thing to watch it again. That's the NFL. They never lose. That's just how it works. Um so yeah, that that was part of the reason I think I, I want to say part part of the reason because uh, I don't think it's the whole thing. I think the Kansas City Chiefs played very good in pass protection. So did the Eagles. The Eagles were, I mean, Eagles one of the best lines, offensive lines in the game as well. Same same with the Chiefs in terms of pass pass protection. Um, but I I do want to say that it's at least part of the reason that a lot of the edge guys uh, for both teams were not able to get around the tackles or anything like that. It's because they were worried about slipping and falling uh, while they were trying to get out on the edge over the, the opposing team's tackle. So it was just, I think it changes a little bit. And this also hurts maybe the players argument a little bit for wanting grass fields. Granted, it's, you know, not like any other grass field in the league. Like, you know, they'd been basically genetically modifying this grass to make it something unique. 
And uh, I think that's the last time they use that, obviously. But uh, yeah, I, I just please next time. Just let's just why? Why did we why did we genetically modify the grass? Just make it normal grass. Just grow some grass. Just grow some grass on the field. You know, some beautiful Kentucky bluegrass and throw it out there and let's see them play or whatever, whatever type of grass that that the the Bears play on or the Ravens play on or the Browns play on or whatever. Just please. Like, we didn't have to get all fancy with it, okay? I get it. The NFL, they want to go above and beyond for their big game, obviously, but it's not broken. Don't fix it, you know? Just put some regular grass out there. If you don't want to play on the turf, let's have some regular grass. It's not like they weren't playing on grass either beforehand. It's like the Cardinals The Cardinals have a grass stadium. They, they play in a grass stadium at State Farm Stadium. So, uh, like, the fact that they felt like they needed to change the grass entirely was just, I don't know. It was weird. I'm probably making too big of a deal, but I did. I do genuinely think that they're after a couple times when Hassan Reddick's coming off the edge or something like that, trying to get an uh, get around the tackle on the edge or something like that, trying to pull a swim move. And after a couple times of slipping, you got to imagine that they're like, okay, I'm not going to try that anymore because I keep slipping, and that just entirely takes off one massive part of their pass rush. So I want to say it, it was at least part of the problem. Uh, not the whole thing. Sure. Both, both teams have great pass protection, obviously, but I, I do want to say that was at least part of it. Uh, anyways, that was, that was my spiel about grass. Welcome to the show. (laughs) But I mean, that was a thing that everybody was, was noticing as well. Um, but yeah, the Eagles, other than that, other than the the struggles in the pass rush for both teams, the Eagles played a solid first half, uh, apart from Jalen Hurts had one, one bad play that really hurt his overall performance from a statistical standpoint. That was his fumble that led to a Nick Bolton uh, return for a touchdown. Obviously that was a 14 point swing as well. Just quickly like that up until that point, the Eagles or the chiefs were having uh, difficulties at the very least real difficulties trying to stop uh, that, that Eagles, uh, that Eagles offense It was a 14 swing point swing. So from that one play, it could have been 31. It's saying, just assuming the Eagles go down and score, on that, I mean, that's worst case scenario, but let's just say they go down and score in that situation. Could have been 31 to seven heading into halftime instead of uh, 24 to 14 in that situation. So that completely changes the the mental space for the Chiefs and the outcome of that game, I would say, uh, because instead of uh, 24, I mean, 24 and 11, 24 to 11 in the second half for the Eagles is good enough for them to still win that game if that's what happens. So uh, that that play ends up being massive, but you know I wouldn't say it's the sole reason they lost, but it is a 14-point swing, and that I mean that gave the Chiefs momentum, enough momentum heading into the half that they were able to come back and win that game. Uh, but other than that, I mean, that's paying too much attention to the one play. Hertz was also 17 of 22 in the first half for 183 yards, one touchdown through the air, 11 rushes for 63, 63 yards on the ground and two touchdowns, and he accounted for 14 of the 17 first downs that the Eagles got, whether it be through the air or on the ground. Uh, in the first half, he was having a phenomenal. I thought he was going to walk away with the Super Bowl MVP after that first half. I thought the Eagles were going to win uh, after first half, given how they were, how effectively they were playing uh, in in both offense, off, offensively, and at least at the very least, holding the Eagles to or holding the Chiefs to you know uh, long down and distance and uh, field goal attempts essentially uh, and. I thought that the Eagles were able to put that away in the second half. They don't, obviously. Uh, and the Chiefs were able to come back in the second half. And they played a literally a perfect, essentially a perfect second half. Uh, they won. They, they they absolutely dominated the second half. Uh, their, uh, the offense essentially had a perfect second half. The defense, you know, neither defense really played very well to, uh, on on uh, on Sunday. But the second half for Mahomes was unreal. 13 of 14, 93 yards, two touchdowns. He only had one incompletion, and it was a it was a, a ball he threw away. Essentially, they had Chiefs as a whole in the second half. Zero penalties, zero turnovers, zero punts, and zero sacks allowed. It was basically 
a a perfect second half for uh, for the Chiefs. They, they played a little bit better on defense uh, in the second half as well. They only allowed 11 points in the second half. Only six first downs on 12 and uh, on 12 third and fourth down plays as well. And the third, one of the big third down stops led, uh, or excuse me, on one of the big, um, yeah, one of the big third down stops, excuse me, in the fourth quarter led to Kadarius Tony's punt return, which basically it was 28 to 27 at that point. And Kadarius Tony, uh, his punt return put them within like 10 yards of the end zone and in, in the red zone. And that basically completely shifted the momentum for the chiefs in that, in that moment. And uh, they were able to score on that drive and take the lead. And it was basically, uh, it wasn't over at that point, but I mean, it, they were in the driver's seat at that point. Uh, the chiefs were so uh, played, played the chiefs defense played much better. The offense was uh, just, it, if you ever have any question towards like, is Andy Reed and Eric B are they legit? Just go back and watch this game just because they're, Second half was just so perfect. I mean, they, the, I would argue that Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy as offensive coordinator and head coach, maybe, maybe getting to the point where they're the best head coach coordinator combo of all time. I mean, I think we're really getting to the point where we can start asking that question at the second half. They made incredible adjustment. They used uh, uh, their use of motion in the second half. Uh, Pre-snap motion was unbelievable. Uh, the just moving guys that caused fits for the Eagles and man-to-man coverage, especially in the red zone. They used a, a play that the Jaguars had used back in week four against the Eagles in, uh, in, in, uh, in the red zone against the Eagles man coverage in red zone, which they love to play man coverage in the red zone. The Eagles do. And, uh, they basically used a jet, a fake jet sweep to get Kadarius, Tony and sky Moore both wide open for those touchdowns. That's why they were both wide open is because they were faking jet sweeps and the fake led Kadarius, Tony and sky Moore to be wide open in those plays because they, they were basically with the fake jet sweep. Kadarius, Tony was running right to left and, uh, the guy that was on him was playing man. So he had to shift tell his safety that, hey, he's on him, fake it back the other way, and Kadarius Tony, the, the miscommunication leaves Kadarius Tony wide open in the end zone, and the same thing happened to Sky Moore in the second half. It was just so, so masterfully done by Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy to, to see that and to, to seize that, seize on that in the, uh, in, the, um, in the second half. I think there was like, Patrick Mahomes was like six of seven in the red zone as well uh, with the two touchdowns. He was fantastic in the red zone, obviously, throughout the game as well. So, I mean, the Chiefs, it was just a, yeah, I mean, it just if you ever have, if you're ever questioning Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, if they're overrated or anything like that, then just go and watch the second half of this game because they they just put on a clinic in terms of play calling, in terms of uh, the plays that they drew up, in terms of uh, the motion that they were using in the second half to really exploit the coverage that the Eagles were using, and um, it was just uh, it's so it's so fun to watch the like Patrick Mahomes, uh, Travis Kelsey, uh, Eric Bieniemy. Andy Reid just cook up whatever they have in their crazy. They had the ring around the rosy play in the red zone as well. That led to a touchdown. Like that was so cool, man. I, they're, they're so far ahead of their time. Like you look at Andy Reid, just physically, you look at Andy Reid. That guy looks like he could be a accountant or a, a uh, or something like that. A, a hotel salesman or something like that. You know what I mean? A carpet salesman. Like I could see Andy Reid selling me wood paneling for my house, but no, Andy Reid, Probably one of the greatest offensive minds in the history of football. Guy loves cheeseburgers, and he, and he, and he they, and Terry Bradshaw told him to waddle on over when he was talking about the when he was talking about the when they were giving the Super Bowl uh, trophy presentation. It's just I, you look at that guy and you're like, there's no way this guy, as goofy he as he is, looking like a walrus with his handlebar mustache or his mustache looking like a walrus. There's no way this is one of the greatest head coaches of all time. And guess what? He is a genius. The guy is a football genius. It just, it's so, he just looks out of place, but 
for whatever reason, the man, the man's just a genius. And all four of those guys, I mean, you know, I, I'd say Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, but everybody buys into that system, obviously. But Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, I mean, what they cook up, especially with the amount of time that they have to, I mean, two weeks to go through film, figure out the exploitations that they can take uh, against the Eagles. It's just too much time. Like if you're an Eagles fan or anybody wanting to go up against the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, just beg for a week off, like uh, just one week off. Just say, hey, we don't want the extra bye week. We don't want the Pro Bowl week. Just give us the one week. That's what you got to be begging for at that point, because giving these guys, those two guys, two or one extra week is just you're dooming yourself at that point uh, to a to a, a masterful showing of offensive output from from both of those guys it's just so fun to watch those guys work and create in the stuff that they're doing it's just so so far ahead of everybody else in the league uh from the offensive standpoint that it's just mind-numbing it's mind-blowing i mean at this point we can really have the conversation that uh, with the stuff that patrick mahomes is able to do under the under this offense you can have the argument right now right now as it's all said and done two-time mvp two-time super bowl winner he started five seasons in the nfl five seasons five that's it. He's already got two Super Bowls, two MVPs. You can make the argument at this point that he is already punched his ticket into the Hall of Fame. I think we could, if he were to retire right now, and we probably have a little bit of recency bias towards it, of course, but I think if he were to retire right now, I mean, just from a pure talent perspective, I don't think I've ever seen anybody as talented as Patrick Mahomes play this, play the game or play that position, I guess, anyways. His arm talent, what he can do, his ability to just see see wide receivers open before they're even open is just, I mean, and the touch he has on the ball, his arm talent in general, there's just the way he can throw on the run. I mean, there's just nobody like him that I don't think that we've ever seen in the NFL. He's a mix of a, like a bunch of different guys all put together in a potion and created a, the perfect quarterback specimen, essentially, is what Mahomes is at this point. And I think you can really make the argument right now, if he were to retire, that you could really make the argument that he could be a not a first ballot Hall of Famer or anything like that, but you could make the argument he's a Hall of Famer just with the numbers he's put up in the first five seasons. Five seasons as a starter. He's only 26 going on his 27, 27 years old. I mean, we're still going to get another 10 years of this probably if all goes well and he stays healthy. We can get another 10 years of Patrick Mahomes. His game is going to have to shift a little bit at least until he, when he gets into his late 30s, obviously. He's not going to have the mobility, I would imagine, uh, that he has right now. And even, I mean, right now he's running around with a high ankle sprain, so who knows? By the way, can you imagine the amount of stuff that they injected into that ankle? Just the illegal stuff that they gave Patrick Mahomes. There was no way after he came off, came off toward the end of the first half, and once halftime hit, he was limping like crazy, limping while he was walking. I was like, there's no way that this dude is missing a, missing a single snap, a single snap of this game. The NFL, Roger Goodell was there. I guarantee Roger Goodell went down there, and they were like, hey, whatever illegal stuff you got in the bag, use it. Okay, we don't care. We need him back out on the field. Just for the fact that he is Patrick Mahomes, I guarantee—I I don't guarantee. I'm joking, but I mean that, that had to have popped up a little bit in everybody's mind. Like, of course, like of course they're going to give this guy the illegal stuff. They're going to pump him full of tortorol, and they're going to run back out there like nothing happened. Like he is on a brand new wheel. Like nothing happened. I—I uh, I saw him walk to the, to the locker room. I was like, this dude's coming back out like it's nothing, like no problem. Uh, and I mean, he's—he was still grimacing a little bit. I mean, very minimally, but then he had that. That scamper for whatever, for like 20 plus yards. And then we were like, okay, well, where was that? Why was, is he hurt or is he not hurt? I don't know what to take from this. Uh, it was his, uh, it was his bloody sock game, if you will. His Kurt Schilling bloody sock game. And uh, he deserved the MVP for it. Even though, I mean, Hurts, that's the thing. Jalen Hurts played, I mean, he was good, man. I, he really, really was very good. I, uh, he had 
the the fumble obviously was massive. The second half, he slowed down a little bit. He could not run the ball whatsoever in the second half. They the, the Chiefs really slowed him down in the second half running the football. But uh, his ability, I mean, he really showcased a, a decent ability throwing the ball downfield. He had probably his best game of the whole season on the biggest stage. I think if you're an Eagles fan or even in the Eagles front office or whatever, I mean, this game, to me, all but guaranteed his re-signing for a big paycheck. I think you can't not re-sign him now if you're the Eagles. Uh, he played so well. Uh, he had a couple balls. That one pass to Dallas Goddard in the third quarter, was uh, that was one of the best throws I've ever seen him make uh, to Dallas Goddard on that on that outright, was it an outright more of like a flag route? I guess uh, the out route essentially um, to Dallas Goddard in the third quarter, where he just he put perfect touch on that ball. Dallas Goddard made a great catch, but just in between two guys and only a window that Dallas Goddard could catch it. It was a beautiful pass, and uh, I mean he had a great game. You could you could also make the argument, I think, that uh, for the <sighs> collectively, I think Hurts uh, maybe leaned on a little bit more than uh, Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes also. Just like the Chiefs in general did not have the ball at all during the first half for the most. I mean, pretty much the Eagles dominated the first half in terms of time of possession. So Patrick Mahomes did not have the ball that much. Uh, but when Jalen Hurts did have the ball, other than the punt return or other than the fumble and the, and the fumble return for a touchdown, he was. I mean, he, he was amazing. I mean, other than that one play that led to a touchdown, which obviously a big flip in momentum, uh, he was fantastic. And I think you could make the argument as well that he outplayed. Patrick Mahomes uh, in a large aspect of this game, other than second half, like I said, Patrick Mahomes was literally perfect, but, um, but uh, Jalen hurts was able to go toe to toe to toe with him for most of this game. And uh, it was good to see. I'm happy for Jalen hurts. It's uh, he's, I mean, he, he was doubted. I think a lot before the offset during the off season that the Eagles, I mean, they have a ton of talent around him. Obviously he has one of the best overall teams in the league, uh, but a lot of people were, wondering if he was really the guy. And I think he's only proved at this point that he is the dude. He should be getting a large paycheck come off season. And the, the fact that he performed as well as he did on the biggest stage in the biggest game of his entire life, I think only, only helps prove that. I think he, he more is showed more than enough that he should be the guy going forward for the Eagles. And, uh, we're going to see what the Eagles do this offseason. They're going to have a couple of guys that they're going to need to, uh, extend, look at extending. I mean, uh, their, their offensive line for the most part, I would say is kind of being held together. Uh, but they are, are losing. I mean, Jason Kelsey is going to be free agent. I think I, I don't want to speak out of turn, but I think I remember hearing, uh, like he was thinking about retirement. If I remember correctly, I might be crazy. I could, I might be insane. Uh, but I thought I remember hearing, hearing him talk about that. It could be crazy though. Uh, but the defensive line, they're gonna have to fix a couple areas. Fletcher Cox, a free agent, uh, Robert Quinn's a free agent. Brandon Graham's a free agent. Javon Hargrave's a free agent. Dominican Sue's a free agent. I mean, they have a lot of guys that they're going to be missing. And the big part of their, their defensive line was their depth and losing a bunch of those guys would be a, a big issue up front for them. Obviously they're losing a, a couple guys on the back end as well. TJ Edwards is going to be gone at the linebacker position. James Bradbury is a free agent, not gone, I guess, but free agent at the very least unrestricted free agent. Uh, James Bradbury is an unrestricted free agent at the cornerback position and Marcus Epps and Chauncey Gardner Johnson. Their safeties are both free agents as well. So we'll see what they do. Uh, they have a couple guys that they're going to have to try to bring back, obviously, to try to make another run at it. But for the most part, they're still a very deep team. Uh, their wide receiver position still all there. Their running back position is going to have a couple holes in it. But, I mean, Boston Scott, Miles Sanders. But it looks like, I mean, just based on what we've seen, that uh, Nick Sirianni is going to be able to at least make up for those losses if they're not able to get either Miles Sanders or Boston Scott back. And, I mean, if they're asking for big money, I would argue that they probably don't. If you look at, like, the past 10 
leading rushers for each Super Bowl victor. Uh, they're like like vastly paying lower than a lot of the other big time teams in terms of running back. Uh, so that's something to take a look at if you wanna if you want to uh, if you want to really delve into a rabbit hole. There are there are some uh, some connections to only not paying over overpaying your running back and success in this league if that makes sense paying uh maybe your wide receivers or your offensive line more uh than what you would pay typically a you know a solid running back in this league there really is a connection there especially in the past 10 years um but we'll see we'll see what the eagles do i think they're they're going to be just fine in my opinion uh with nick sirianni they did lose i think uh, another big uh, another big offseason storyline i think for them they did just literally today just lose uh, their offensive coordinator to a head coaching job and their defensive coordinator to a head coaching job. I think their D coordinator went to uh, the Cardinals. I can't remember the names off the top of my head. I apologize. Uh, their D coordinator went to um, Arizona to be head coach. And then their offensive coordinator went to Indianapolis to become a head coach. So they're going to have to replace that as well. Plus I'm sure a bunch of other uh, assistant coaching positions as well, just because of how dominant they were. People are going to, people are going to want to be feasting on whatever the Eagles were doing this year, obviously. So, uh, we'll see. We'll see what the Eagles do. And the Chiefs, I mean, it's time to go for back to back, I guess. Let's see if they can get two in a row and get three total for, uh, for Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey and the gang. We'll see what they do. Uh, okay. Let's talk a little bit about as a whole. Let's talk about, we're still talking, we're still talking big game. Okay. This is not the end of the big game. Uh, where let's talk a little bit about halftime performance. Okay. Because it's an entertainment spectacle, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, we're not just here for the football. We're here for the halftime show. We're here for the commercials. That's what they're feeding you. Okay, and that's what they, that's what they people want to be doing. So let's talk about it. Rihanna, a uh, a legend in the music industry. Obviously, uh, I think personally that she's a little. Uh, I don't think she is necessarily uh, huge into the musical performance anymore. I don't think. I think she's kind of. In her mind, I mean, I'm I'm really putting words into her to her mouth. I really have no idea. But from what it looks like, she it seems like she's moved past uh, the music part of her life a little bit um, at times, just because I mean, she's got uh, a, a lingerie line, she's got a, a a makeup line as well. She's a true through and through businesswoman. I mean, she's doing a bunch of different things. So music feels like it's kind of put been put on the back burner a little bit. This was her first performance since like January of 2018. So essentially five years ago, and she hasn't released like an album or like an actual album since 2016. So it's been a while for Riri for her to for for her music game essentially. She, uh, but nonetheless, I mean, she was a legend back in you know uh, not not back then I guess, and that's probably not the the right thing that I should say. But she's been doing it from 2005 to 2016, and in all of the albums that she's done, I think she's had like six or seven or something like that. She's had eight studio albums. I'm looking at it now, eight studio albums. And there's guaranteed, at least on every single one of those, to have a hit, like at least one hit. I mean, she has, she has produced massive hits throughout her musical career, and she's been fantastic at doing it. Uh, and then she just kind of put it on hold. She had a kid, obviously, and then she's pregnant now as well as it came out during the uh, during the show that she was also pregnant with a child uh, at the time of doing the Super Bowl performance, which is unreal. Um, and uh, so she put the music career on the side, touring on the side, obviously, all that stuff. To work on her side projects, well, I guess now primary projects in terms of her her lingerie line, her Fenty Beauty line, Fenty in general is now a line as well as as a as a product as well. Uh, so you know it was I don't want to say it was a weird um, casting for her to become the Super Bowl performer. I just think maybe it was a little late. I guess um, I would see Riri as more of a somebody from like 2018 would be a more perfect match for her. Cause I think that was really when she was at her, 
like her prime essentially um just in terms of making music um so maybe a little bit uh, as minimally dated as it possibly could be could have been Riri is maybe that uh but it was also kind of like a bounce back but in my eyes it was more of a swan song of what she did i think she was maybe saying goodbye to the music industry in that performance then she was really welcoming it back if that makes sense she showed she was she's pregnant so she's not going to be doing any sort of tour obviously anytime soon uh she says she has a studio album but it's been delayed a couple of times as well so who knows where that's actually going to end up um and who i mean savage fenty's doing great fenty itself fenty beauty's doing fantastic she is a absolute queen she doesn't she shows she doesn't need it anymore she doesn't need the music industry anymore to do what she's doing. Um, and I think the halftime performance as a whole was pretty good. I think, um, that there were a couple things that, and and I think part of it also was the, I'm curious to see how much she had to change because of the, um, cause you know, this is not something that you can just, this can create in a few months, obviously. I mean, they've been working at this ever since the announcement essentially. So I'd be curious to see how much her, uh, pregnancy maybe had a, uh, how much they had to change because of her pregnancy um, uh, in terms of the artistry and stuff like that. You look at like the other halftime performances that we've had in the past, I don't know, 10 years or so, even you can go even further back than that. Um, it's really like, you really have to put on a spectacle and I, I, I will go. I mean, here's the other thing that I don't think a lot of people understand either is, and this, because this one was the Super Bowl was on, the West Coast, but I mean, I guess not not technically the West Coast, but close to the, to the West Coast. Um, you really have to. A lot of that show, a lot of the halftime show in general, has to do with the lighting and everything like that, and having to battle the sunset and the sun in general really can put a detriment on the show itself. Like there are great performances that we've seen from like Beyonce, Shakira, J Lo. Uh, and so, I mean, uh, the weekend, obviously Prince, obviously, uh, that were really helped by the fact that it was nighttime and the lights, the, the, the lights that they had on the field at the time really, really moved the show, like pushed the show forward in terms of the artistry. And this one, I thought they were going to have an issue with that, but they did so good, like putting together the, uh, the lighting in terms of the fireworks and stuff going off in the background while they panned out to the, to the, the stadium cam and showed the sunset in the background as well. That was super cool. Uh, but I also think that we got less artistry from it because I feel like they probably had to change a lot of stuff because of um, Rihanna's pregnancy. I, would, I mean, I'm totally guessing. I could be completely wrong. Um, but there weren't just as many, you know, there wasn't as much of a spectacle, I guess, is what I would say. The, the floating platforms were super cool. And I thought that, uh, I mean, that was obviously dangerous enough. It looked like a Super Smash Bros. Uh, course, or not course, I guess, uh, map on Super Smash Bros. And I was like, whoa, Kirby's coming in. He's going for the ultimate finisher. And, I mean, there were plenty of jokes made about the Super Smash Bros. stuff. But I think that was uh, that was a nice little touch. I thought that was super cool. Nobody had really done that before where they were basically singing on platforms. And, yes, she was secured to the platform, ladies and gentlemen. Relax, okay? It's not like she was going to fall off and die. Uh, she was secured to that platform very well. And uh, it looked amazing. And uh, I think that part of it looked very cool, but just the rest of it, like there was a lot of open field. She didn't like, I don't think, I don't remember, but I don't think she had anybody like come up to the stage, like fans come up to the stage or anything like that and make it look like an actual concert. Whereas uh, basically all the other ones, that was something that they always did. Um, So, and there, and there weren't any like 
people on the field with, um, you know, uh, we've seen people with like flowers running around and stuff like that. Just stuff that's like added pageantry to the actual show itself. So I, I wish there was more of a spectacle to it because with the Super Bowl halftime show, you have to be able to really, you have to be able to really match the spectacle of the game itself. I mean, that's like the biggest thing. It's really, really hard to do, obviously. But Beyonce, when she did it, she absolutely destroyed it, just killed it. Shakira J-Lo absolutely killed it. And we came to a point uh, during the late 90s, early 2000s, I think, when the NFL really noticed that. They were like, okay, we have to, we have to kind of, we have to provide something maybe a little more exciting, more so than just a concert, I guess, is I think probably what the NFL noticed. Um, And for the most part, I think that they've done that pretty well. But like I said, if you look at like the... If you look at like the the one that Coldplay did not too long ago, it being on the West Coast really hurt them. I think because I think a lot of the 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 stuff that they had going on on the side and like the kaleidoscope like screen that they had going underneath them while they were singing would have been really cool if it was at night. Like if the if the only light that was coming off of the field was that screen that they were standing on, like that would have been way cooler. And I think West Coast West Coast uh, halftime shows really have a like fault at that. Like there's nothing that they can really do. Um, so it's interesting. I think the East coast ones are always going to be better. The Prince one obviously is legendary, but you also have a lot of the sped, the spectacle with that one, the giant purple sheet that comes up and is flying and showing the shadow of princes. He's playing purple rain and him just playing purple rain in the rain as well. It's just, it was, I mean, there's so many memories that you can get from that. I will say Rihanna's, um, when she was singing uh, Shine Bright Like a Diamond at the very end, that one was gorgeous. The lights were going all around her and stuff as well uh, in terms of like the, the phone camera, the camera lights and everything. That, that was beautiful. The camera shots were incredible. Uh, and I thought that was fantastic. And the other thing is, here, here's the thing. Okay, old heads, listen here. I, I, there's probably a couple of you old heads that are listening. Yes, they have to play a backing track behind her because if something goes wrong, they can't fix it. That's how it works in the halftime shows. They have to do it that way. It was maybe a little bit loud. I, I would agree with you because I mean, it was playing in the background because you could hear her, her, uh, the, the track playing in the background as well as she was trying to sing maybe a little bit loud, but that's an audio mixing thing that is very difficult to do in stadiums like that. It's almost impossible. Uh, but of course they have to have that behind her because duh, if something goes wrong, they can't fix it on the field. It's impossible to fix. They can't just go up to the microphone, give it a couple Banks, they only have a certain number of time. That's not the whole thing. They're not everybody's there to watch a concert. They're watching a football game. They have a they have a, a clock they have to be paying attention to. So of course there is backing vocals during those shows. They always have backing vocals during those shows. They're just sometimes, most of the time, they're not that loud. That was the only problem that uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people were having issues with how loud the uh, that she was lip syncing, quote unquote. Which uh, I mean, uh, she wasn't. I mean, she was singing for a great portion of that show. Um, but they were just having backing vocals in the background as well because they have to have them there in case something goes wrong. Uh, so I think um, it was pretty good. I think in the long run, we'll probably see it as more. I like if I were to rank it in a tier system, S, A, B, C, D, F, obviously, I think I would put it maybe low B. But I think over time, we might appreciate it a little bit more just because of how I mean, she's got a great she's got a great voice. She really does. She's she's got a fantastic vocal range. She sings very well. And I think over time, we might look back on it and think, yeah, she was that, that was pretty good. That was pretty solid halftime performance. Um, but right now, I just think it was with everything around it and how much of a pageant, you know, how much pageantry has to go around the halftime show. I think right now we can give it a low B tier. Uh, good. Not great. Not not blow my eyes off. Not stunning or anything like that. Pretty solid. Pretty good. So I'll give it a low B. Low B on the B on the uh, on the uh, on the old tier list. Um, OK, 
another part of the Super Bowl that we're all going to talk about. We got to talk about the commercials. Okay, I'll be honest with you. I was a little disappointed. I don't think a lot of the commercials were very good uh, this year. I think a lot of them were very forgettable. We had a couple of really bad ones. The Serena Williams. uh, uh, what was it? Remy, the cognac one, the Remy, uh, Remy Martin, I think is what it's called. That one was terrible. I think most people um, don't realize what that speech was that she was giving, uh, what it was from. It's from uh, Any Given Sunday, which is a Al Pacino movie. And that movie's not particularly good. Uh, it's a football movie, obviously. Uh, but that speech in general and that movie itself is not very good. I thought that was a weird choice for them to go with. Uh, and it just doesn't, I don't know, it, going the like inspirational route for Super Bowl commercial always was weird to me. Like you have this moment, you have, you spent $5.5 million or whatever that it was to try to get 30 second ad spots. And you're going to talk down to your people like, come on to try to inspire them to what buy your cognac. No, that's stupid. Okay. Go comedy, do something else, please. Um, and that's why a lot of these here that for me were the best ones are comedy ones. I think they're just better. I think they just work better in that situation. You don't get a lot of comedy from advertisements. It's usually a who, what, when, where, why, that sort of thing, or inspirational. You get so much inspirational garbage from advertisers anyways during the regular season that I don't think you need to add another one in there uh, during the Super Bowl. So I appreciate I appreciate a good comedic one, and that's why on my list here, I have them listed out. I'll, I'll rank them top five, even though some of them are a little interchangeable. Um, I'll rank them top. I'll rank them after I list them first. So I'll go uh, the GM and Netflix one. By the way, Netflix, what are they doing? Okay, why are they? They're making like double advertisements in their in their. They had two that were like like an advertiser advertising Netflix. It was really weird. They had Michelob Ultra during the Caddyshack one, but it was like after. So Caddyshack, they did the Caddyshack one, which was which is also on my list. Uh, But then afterwards, they showed another ad. It was Michelob Ultra advertising the Netflix series. I think it was what Full Swing, which was the the, the, essentially the drive to survive of golf or whatever. Um, And that one was that was just weird. Like, why is Michelob Ultra promoting Netflix? It was odd. Anyways, uh, but then GM did it as well. And it was uh, Will Ferrell going through Netflix's greatest hits in a GM and the, an electric GM, if you an electric uh, vehicle GM, and talking about how they're going to use only uh, or you know try to use more electric vehicles in their in their movies and stuff like that. And they were going through all the the films, and I like going through those just because it's you know try to notice which Netflix series this is, and that's kind of fun. And uh, I thought it was pretty funny. Will Ferrell, he's always funny. He's got a direct he got a direct line to my funny bone, and I think anything he does for the most part is pretty funny. Uh, we had the popcorners one, the Breaking Bad parody. Uh, spoiler alert: This is my number one. This is the best one of the whole night. Here's the thing. There are a couple Super Bowl ads that you will almost certainly see before the Super Bowl itself. And no, don't do that. Okay. If you see an ad that you've never seen before, if you're about to watch a video, close your eyes, cover your ears, whatever. Don't watch it. Don't listen to it because that ruins the whole point. The Super Bowl ads are supposed to be the first ads that you, the first new ads that you see of the season, quote unquote. Those are the new ones. So don't watch them beforehand before you get a YouTube video or something like that. Then that ruins it when you see it on the, during the game. You don't want to do that. Then you're just going to want to skip the ad like every uh, like every other time uh but this one i i'd seen it a couple i hadn't seen it but i saw it pop up on if i was watching youtube or something i was like skip mute don't want to see it close out i don't want to see this before the super bowl and i saw it and it was good it was so good I, it was it was very good you get those guys together brian cranston aaron paul they just have such great chemistry together like anything they do there was one part like brian cranston was like either clearly cgi like for his his head Obviously, because he's not going to shave his head just for the ad again, obviously. Uh, 
and I think he was very clearly either wearing a bald cap or he was CGI to give him a bald head. And when he's sitting in the corner of the RV or whatever, and you look at him, like it's kind of funky looking. It looks a little weird because they definitely CGI'd like the top part of his head. And uh, it, look, it looked a little, it looked a little strange at the start, but you know, whatever it's an advertisement, I got over it quickly. Um, but it was, I mean, it was funny. It was good. It was just a, a good use of that, that show, the advertisement for it. It was solid. I liked it. It was very good. That's my number one for the whole day. So I, I mean, I'll make the rest of the list, but just know, I mean, spoiler alert, that's, that's the best one of the night for sure. Uh, and then uh, Michelob Ultra, the Caddyshack ad pretty good i think for a lot of people they caught on to what they were trying to do there obviously they had uh, michael o'keefe play the guy uh he was the the caddy in this in this scene i think uh michael o'keefe is the guy that plays danny noonan noonan in the uh, in the original movie i thought that was a nice little nudge towards the actual film itself even though the whole thing is essentially a nudge to the film itself and uh, i just thought i mean i love caddyshack that's one of my favorite movies of all time just comedies of all time and i think that was uh a good little nudge to uh, to the movie itself, and I thought they did a pretty decent ad all all together, uh, all things considered. Excuse me, and um, I just think it worked. Pringles, they had their can on the hand that was a, it returned. The can on the hand stuff was always funny. Uh, I think Pringles, for the most part, they do their advertising pretty well. I think Pringles is in the same category as Doritos in terms of their uh, in terms of their advertising. I think they really kind of get it. I think they're like they get what they're going for. They have a very the very clear idea of what they're trying to do. They're trying to make it funny. And I think for the most part, they do a pretty good job. And this can on the hand one is the, the one that they did this year was pretty funny as well. And then Doritos, the Jack Harlow triangle. Look, I'm not, I think Jack Harlow had a pretty tough year just in terms of the mass majority of people. I think maybe turned on him a little bit, maybe a tad bit. He has the white man can't jump remake coming out. And I could not have think, I could not think of a worse casting than Jack Harlow as as this generation's Billy Hoyle or this generation's supposed to be Billy Hoyle, I could not think of a worse casting than that. And I, I don't know why they're remaking that movie anyways. It's just, anyways, I, I'm going off on a tangent about something that doesn't really relate to any of this. But uh, Jack Carlo, he was in the Doritos commercial. I thought that one was pretty good. Uh, I love the, trying, uh, the, the triangle thing that they were doing uh, with the Doritos relating it to the instrument. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, and yeah, I, I thought that one was pretty good. But Jack Carlo, he's been having a rough year. I mean, he's... He had a good album drop, obviously, but just overall, I think he'd been having a rough year with, the, I think, a, a large amount of the audience, um, of the mass audience that he was going for, maybe turned on him just a little bit because of some of the, the album that he dropped wasn't great, and some of the music and some of the songs that he dropped weren't great, and it was just kind of a weird year for Jack Carler. But I, I always thought he was funny, um, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see what the movie comes out, obviously, and... Uh, this Doritos ad wasn't terrible. I guess this ad, that's my greatest, that's my greatest, uh, that really, I was kind of pushing it with this Doritos one. I didn't, I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. The rest of them, I was just really, I mean, I was more disappointed than anything. Like the T-Mobile ad, I was like, what are we doing here? With John Travolta, like basically remaking, redoing some of the songs from Greece. I was like, like, what are we doing here, man? It was just so dated and only like a very, very, very minimal select amount of like a select few amount of people will know what that's from. I think like Greece is very much a cult classic. I, I, I watched Greece once when I was younger and I really barely remember any of it. Um, and I just think it's like at this, let's just do Saturday night fever. If we're going for really, uh, obscure movies that are completely dated, let's just do that one. I, I like the music more in that movie, and I think it makes more sense. Uh, I think that movie is way better than, well, maybe not way better, but at least a little bit better, only because of the music than uh, than Grease, in my in my opinion, my humble opinion. Really, I mean, it's arguably the best the best album of the disco age. Sorry, I'm getting into music. I mean, that's 
that's not my forte, but launch the Bee Gees into superstardom that that entire album. So, uh, anyways, you know, it was it was a fine it was a fine Super Bowl for the ads. I think a lot of the ads are really suffering from like, are any of those ads going to be as effective as the Burger King ad this year? That ad for just during the regular season, we got the Whopper ad for this season. I don't think any of those ads that they played during the Super Bowl are going to be nearly as effective as the 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 Burger King ad that they ran basically the entire regular season. That stupid jingle that the Burger King ad played will be stuck in my head for the next year and a half or whatever. And God forbid, God forbid they bring it back for the next football season. So it's playing out during every commercial break. I will throw up if that happens again or they remake the jingle again. But that jingle is going to be stuck in my head, man. I think that 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 stupid commercial, that stupid jingle is going to be stuck in my head for the rest of I mean, more than any other Super Bowl ad that we got this year, honestly. Popcorners one was great, uh, but I don't know if it, I mean, it's not, I'll probably forget it in th- in two, two and a half, three weeks or something like that. It's just, none of them are really memorable anymore at this point. And I don't know if that's just because our, our weird, um, like attention span as we've gotten older is just getting a lot shorter. So we don't really have time for advertisements. Like we're really shutting them off very early. And um, I think, I mean, that's probably partially the reason why um but it's just uh they're just they just don't seem as memorable as they used to be i guess is what i would say okay let's just do a rapid top five for these commercials because these are the best ones that i thought were there uh number five i'll go doritos didn't love it didn't hate it thought it was fine uh i think i'll go Michelob ultra cat now i'll go gm netflix at four gm netflix four Michelob ultra caddyshack three uh pringles two popcorners number one so congrats to those guys i'll be sending out the I'll be sending out the trophies, your first place trophy for Popcorners. Congratulations. You had the best advertisement, according to the Weekend Sports Rep podcast, uh, this year for the Super Bowl. So congrats to them. Congrats to Popcorners. Good job, guys. All right, let's move on. We're going to wrap up the show with this today. We're on a more serious note. I told you guys I was going to talk to it a little. I was going to talk about it a little bit later on when I introed it, more or less, but I didn't really intro. I didn't give a name of what I was talking about. Uh, so during the game, or I guess right before the game happened, um, I think it was like literally during the coin toss, they had this advertisement, this, um, I guess, I mean, if you want to call it an advertisement, it wasn't really an advertisement. I guess it was more of a testimonial, uh, for Pat Tillman and Pat Tillman, a American hero. Obviously I, I will not argue that obviously went to fight for our country, uh, gave up millions of dollars to go and fight for our country, but the NFL and the military in general have really, really, really created this weird military uh, uh, military industrial type figure that Pat Tillman was not uh, and not in a bad way. I think it's it's not on. I mean, I have nothing bad to say against Matt, uh, Pat Tillman. Obviously, I'm more frustrated with the NFL and the way that our military has twisted his story to create something more into to turn it more into a recruitment than anything that really gives me. Um, it really, I mean, it makes, it gives me like, it makes the hair stand up on my arms whenever I see them try to, uh, use him as a recruitment tool in, in a bad way. It makes the hair stand up like a, like a shiver runs down my spine. Um, Pat Tillman, for those of you that don't know, he was a safety in the NFL. He played at Arizona state and then he played at Arizona for a little bit as well with the Cardinals from 1998 to 2001. And then after 2001, uh, after the attacks during 9-11, he enlisted into the military uh, to go fight Al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden. Obviously, uh, he wanted a, uh, you know, he felt like he needed to be doing something more for his country at the time. Um, 
other than playing football. And he gave up millions of dollars for that and uh, to, to go and uh, to go and fight Al Qaeda uh, on the other side of the planet. Uh, so he thought he was going into Afghanistan to fight Al Qaeda. Instead, he was uh, sent to Iraq and all evidence really indicates, according to his brother, his mother, a lot of the stories that we hear from Pat Tillman and Pat Tillman's friends, uh, he despised the Iraq war. Uh, he absolutely despised it. He had conversations with his brother, Kevin Tillman, and their friend, Russell Bear, uh, and stated that he thought the occupation and the invasion of Iraq during the time was, quote, effing illegal. Um, and it's something that they very, very noticeably left out during their weird uh, testimonial, their commercial, or whatever the hell it was, before the game, during the Super Bowl, um, they said he was killed in action while he was fighting on the other uh, the other side of the world in uh, in Iraq. And uh, they very, very cleverly left out how he was killed. Tillman, Pat Tillman was killed by friendly fire. Uh, they don't talk about that very much. Uh, the military, after his death, essentially created a fabricated story uh, that said he was, quote, charging up a ridgeline, braving enemy fire, and died defending his fellow soldiers from enemy fire. This is all, I'm not... I mean, I'm not fabricating this. What's I'm not fabricating this whatsoever. This is something that the U.S. military created after the death of Pat Tillman uh, to try to create this weird Captain America like story that the people could get behind and maybe increase recruiting into the military after Tillman had died. This was something that the military, the U.S. military fabricated, fabricated to create this uh, this mythological being of uh United States courage and bravery and granted uh, he is a courageous man a incredibly brave human being um, that a lot of people will not be able to match um, but the thing about Tillman that a lot of people misunderstood he never did any interviews after his enlistment became public he never wanted to do interviews after his enlistment became public because he didn't want to become part of the propaganda machine that helps recruit young men and women into the United States military. He never wanted to do that. Uh, he was killed by friendly fire uh, and the military without any of the Tillman's, you know, approval, the, the Tillman family approval, his brother approval, his mother's approval, anything like that uh, basically created this story to more or less create this, you know, uh, this, this figurehead for military recruitment. And, um, and they're still doing it to this day. I mean, I, I cannot believe uh, the world that we're living in, they use, they're using the Pat Tillman Foundation uh, to increase recruitment. There's a reason you don't see uh, Pat Tillman's mother, Pat Tillman's brother or anything like that come out to these, uh, you know, massive events to the Super Bowl or anything like that to try to push forward uh, this disgusting piece of propaganda that the military and the NFL have really pushed uh, about Pat Tillman. He did not want to become a recruitment tool, uh, recruitment tool for uh, for for people to come and join the U.S. military. That is never what he wanted to do. That's why he never did any sort of public interviews or anything like that after his enlistment became public. Um, that is just not something that he ever wanted to be a part of. Um, the military knew he had been killed by friendly fire during, I mean, not long after he had been killed. Uh, they, there were series of reports that came out, uh, congressional hearings that came out uh, because of this, and they knew it. They lied to, to, to Pat Tillman's parents, to his friends, uh, and just hours after his death, Pat Tillman's uniform, his journal, his personal effects of that day were mysteriously destroyed. And uh, and uh, obviously, we never got any answers other than what independent journalists were able to find and um, through congressional hearings, what we we're able to find. And uh, it just it, the whole thing really, really disgusts me that the way that they use uh, Pat Tillman's death as a way to exploit 
and create some sort of recruitment jacking uh, to a to you know recruitment uh, increase to the U.S. military. They, during the, I mean, the really thing that that ticked me off last night was the way that they used it um, and the way that they framed his death last night to make it. I mean, even now we're we're twenty years past what happened after all the congressional hearings, after the the book written by his own mother uh, and the independent and the independent journalism that had been working at the time uh, to try to discover what had truly happened to Pat Tillman. We're still the NFL is still using this. Uh, his his sacrifice as a way to exploit uh, recruitment into the military. And the military is also using it as well. It is so frustrating. He, Pat Tillman, because he never wanted to, to, to be a figurehead for recruitment, obviously, he never did interviews or anything like that. And why his family has never, uh, never appeared at any of one of these things. Uh, you know, his mother, his brother, anybody like that have ever appeared at one of these events uh, to try to push forward this weird, uh, just it just it just rubs me the wrong way. It sends shivers down my spine every time I think about it. They just are are gleefully misrepresenting what happened to this man, how he felt about the situation that he went into, and then what happened afterward. Just we just brush it under the rug and act like nothing happened. Uh, he died in combat. I mean, he died as a hero. I do not you know doubt that, but it's, they're just very very carefully leaving out the situation and what happened to him after, you know, what caused him passing away. They're just very carefully leaving that out. And the entire misrepresentation that happened afterwards of him trying to create this folk hero by completely lying to his family, his friends about what had happened, completely lying to them. Uh, His friends who, his brother, by the way, who had been deployed with him, didn't find out that he had died of friendly fire until four weeks after Tillman had passed away. Four weeks after Tillman had passed away. He knew he had died. He thought it would buy, it had been by enemy uh, enemy combatants, enemy firings, but it was not that. He had died by friendly fire, and his brother Kevin did not find that out until a staff sergeant that he was serving with at the time pulled him to the side and essentially had to tell him, hey, your brother passed away because uh, his friendly combatants, whether it be an accident or not an accident, opened fire on him uh, and killed Pat Tillman. Just the, the, the fact that they are grossly misrepresenting everything that Tillman stood for uh, and just using it and twisting it to their own means to create this storybook hero uh, that Pat Tillman would not have wanted. This is not what he would have wanted. Uh, he would not would have wanted, uh, you know, a, a statue that is depicted every single Super Bowl as a way to show that he was some sort of, uh, you know, a mythical hero because he stood up and decided to do what was uh, what he thought was right. That is not something that he ever, you know, said he wanted. If he if he would have wanted to do that, he would have gone on and done interviews uh, and, and talked about his enlistment and stuff like that. That's never what he wanted. He said he he joined the military because he thought he was doing something that he thought was right at the time. And then he gets sent to Iraq. He did not believe in the fight that he was fighting against because of the invasion of Iraq, according to multiple sources, including his brother and uh, other people that were serving with him at the time. Uh, and they've just turned it into this weird recruitment tactic that happens every single Super Bowl. They do it every single Super Bowl. You're bound to see one of those ads between some sort of agreement with the Pat Tillman Foundation or the NFL and and um, the military. It's just so uh, it just really, really makes my my skin my skin crawl whenever I see the NFL try to do that and exploit that entire situation, even 20 years after the fact of everything that we know, even less than that after we figured out, after we found out everything that we have found out about Pat Tillman. Uh, so like 10, 15 years after the fact. Uh, we're still the NFL does not care, still using this as a way to exploit uh, and to 
in a way to create this weird symbiotic relationship with the military uh, and really in a, in a situation where the military was grossly incorrect and very uh, grossly using it to to uh, I guess mix it and create it into their own uh, way of a recruiting tactic by creating still this mythical hero, this folklore hero um, being Pat Tillman uh, and that he is siding up to fight courageously against all the enemies of the United States, every single one of them, even though he didn't want to go and fight in Iraq. He wanted to fight Al Qaeda and he hated the fact that he was fighting in Iraq uh, in, in a, in a, in a, in an invasion that he thought was quote effing illegal, according to his brother and his friend that he was serving with at the time. If you want, um, there's a great article to read about, um, everything that has happened since Pat Tillman and the way the military and the NFL has really, really created this entire story. Uh, but I had created this entire story before a couple of few, uh, a few independent journalists and Pat, Pat Tillman's own mother had to go through and, um, really find the story for themselves. Um, but the, the one that, uh, is good through reading the NFL, the military and the hijacking of Pat Tillman's story on the intercept.com by Ryan Devereux. That's a great rundown of what uh, the NFL and the military really did uh, to hijack Pat Tillman's story. And then uh, Pat Tillman's mother's book by Mary Tillman's uh, Mary Tillman's book boots on the ground by dusk, my tribute to Pat Tillman. That should be a read uh, as well. If you want more information on that and then where men win glory by Jerry Krakauer, uh, also a book about Pat Tillman and his, uh, his sacrifice as well. Uh, his true sacrifice, what he actually believed in uh, and not what the military or the NFL wants you to think uh, that Pat Tillman stood for and that he was all American man, uh, Christian, all American man, even though he was an atheist, uh, Christian, all American man that went to fight for USA, no matter what uh, the situation was, which was not what Pat Tillman was whatsoever. So uh, I implore you to go check those out. And uh, really learn more about what Pat Tillman really was, according to friends, family, his mother, and not this weird uh, creation that the NFL and the military have kind of morphed together. Um, so, yeah, that was the one of the, the, the big thing that really just frustrated me before the game even began. I was like, man, they are just really they, they can they get away with anything. They're just grossly misrepresenting uh, what Pat Tillman believed in and who he was um, and what he thought he or what he uh, would have wanted to do if he was still um, here uh, with us uh, essentially. So anyways, um, we'll end on that. Let's end on that. Ladies and gentlemen, that's our big game recap. I'm, I'm glad we talked about, uh, that story and then everything else that happened because you know what? The NFL never loses. That's the thing. Uh, I, I'm, I'm very angry. I'm disappointed in the way that the NFL still represents Pat Tillman and the way that they, uh, you know, the, the way that they are so symbiotically, uh, connected with the military at times that it becomes almost propaganda. But guess what? I'm going to be here next year. I'm going to be watching the Super Bowl again next year because the NFL, they always win. They always win. That's just how it works, unfortunately, uh, in the world that we live in today. Uh, all right, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you very much for tuning in. I have been your host. Remember to please uh, rate, subscribe, follow, whatever it is on all of those podcasting platforms, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, wherever you're listening to this, please remember to follow, uh, give the five-star rating, the whole shebang. Really appreciate it. You can listen to this also on sharedmedia.com and podcastwyoming.com as well. Wherever you're listening to it, I thank you very much. We're through big game again. We're going to talk a little bit more about uh, baseball next week because it's right around the corner. Uh, pitchers and catchers report this week. So we're going to talk a little bit about the, the changes in uh, the rule books and stuff like that. There's some big changes coming for baseball. And uh, we'll see after that. We'll see what happens after that. Uh, but for now, I want to thank you very much for tuning in. 
I've been your host, James Timberlake, and this has been the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast.